So have you ever had a strange phone call? Ever had a strange phone call? A young girl was working on a book report for school. She needed a little help, so she went to her dad to ask for some help. She said, hey, Dad, what's the difference in anger and exasperation? How are those different? Her dad said, well, basically it's a matter of degree. He said, here, let me see if I can show you. And he picked up his phone, and he just dialed a random number. A man's voice on the other end picked up. He had it on speakerphone so his daughter could hear. And and the man picked up, and he said, hello. And her dad said, "Uh, yes, is Melvin there? And the man said, there's no Melvin here. You need to check your numbers, buddy, before you start calling people. And he hung up. So the father turned to his daughter. He said, see, we seemed to have annoyed the man a little bit with that phone call. So the father dialed the same number again. And the man answered the phone, same man. And the father again said, "Uh, yes, is Melvin there? And the man said, look, buddy, you just called here. I told you there's no Melvin here. You got a lot of guts calling me back again. And he hung up. So the father turned to his daughter. He said, see, the first time he was annoyed, that time he was a little bit angry. Now, sweetie, let me show you what it means to be exasperated. And so he called the number again. And a voice picked up, hello. Very calmly, her father said, hey, this is Melvin. Do I have any calls? Yeah. So what do you do when your life changes degrees. What do you do in your life when you go from being annoyed to being angry to being completely exasperated? What's that word? Exasperated. What do you do? Or what do you do when, when you go from being annoyed to being apathetic or annoyed to angry or annoyed to afraid or annoyed to anxious and then exasperated. What do you do? And what do you do when the whole world seems to be going from being annoyed to being aggravated to being exasperated? What do you do? Well, it all boils down to kind of what you do with the two holes in the side of your head. What does that mean? Well, let's see if we can find out. Listen to Psalm 46, beginning with verse 6. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. This scene is just great that the psalmist is painting. It's, It's like this epic battle between the armies of the enemy and the armies of the hero. And the enemy is like a massive war machine. They've got the the best armor and the best weapons. They they have guys that look like Azog. Did I say his name right? I keep saying his name right. Or or Avondrago. You know, these these six foot five, 250 pound soldiers. And they're menacing. They're so menacing, you're ready to run away from them before the battle even begins. They're massive. They're mean. They're menacing. And they have it all. In other words... What's happening is that you're beginning to see that the hero and his little army are going to be obliterated. 
Now, here's the thing. A lot of people feel just like that right now. Whether it's the virus or injustice or the economy or cancer, whether it's the the plans for returning to school, whether it's protest, whether it's the uncertainties of of unemployment or the uncertainties of sports or the uncertainties of so many other things, we, we seem to be hearing the loud roar of anger and apathy, the loud roar of fear. And we aren't just hearing that loud roar from the TV or from social media or from talk radio. No, we're hearing that loud roar more than that. See, we're, we're feeling and, and hearing and sensing that, that our whole world seems to be tottering. It, it seems to be in this uproar. It seems to be in this rage. And it seems like that it's tottering and moving and, and about to fall apart. And we, we hear the roars of all of that. But it's not just from the TV and our smartphone and social media. We're hearing that roar from inside our own hearts and our own minds. See, we're waking up angry. And we're waking up afraid. And we're waking up apathetic. Of all those, apathy might be the, the scariest. Because, especially for a Christian, apathy is, is kind of an oxymoron. <laughs> to say that a, a Christian is apathetic is a, is a bit of a paradox. The Apostle Paul said this to the folks at Corinth, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. The Christian is called to do all to the glory of God, and the glory of God is not apathetic in any way, shape, or form. James said this in James four seventeen. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Far too often, I feel like we as believers, we, we tend to think that sin is making sure we don't do the wrong thing. But we forget that the gospel shows our hearts that because we've been saved, it's not just about not doing certain things, it's about doing the right things. And in order to do the right things, that means we're going to have to change our attitude and we're going to have to change our actions. You may have heard the story about the man who went to the doctor and and after some tests and examinations and some things, the doctor came in to talk to him and he said, look, you're going to have to make some major changes in your life. Like, these are going to be big changes, and you're going to have to get your wife to help you out and get her involved. You're going to have to change your diet. You are going to have to start eating better and, and, and being more nutritious. You're going to have to get your wife to, to kind of help and changing the menu and changing the plan. He said, you're also going to have to make a tighter budget. You've got to lower the stress that's coming along with, with all of the expenditures. You, you need your wife to help you lower that budget, tighten things up, and, and watch the spending. And, and you're really going to have to be careful when you come home after work. I mean, you have to get your wife to help you to, to not have the kids just own you all the time. And you really have got to quit working so many long hours. You, you just got to cut back. And the doctor said this. He said, if you don't do this, he said, you'll be dead in a month. You've got to make these changes. So the man went home, and before he did, he left the doctor's office. He said, Doc, I'm not going to remember all that stuff. 
So, so could you just please call my wife and tell her that because I, I just, I can't even think. So just let her know those same things. So he got home and, and his wife came over, gave him a huge hug. She said, oh, sweetie, I just got off the phone with the doctor. I'm, I'm so sorry. The doctor said you only have a month to live. <laughs> you see, that man needed to make some changes, but so did his wife. Here's the harsh reality. I need to make some changes. And you need to make some changes. But we're not always willing to make a change. We're just not. But here's the thing. If we're a Christian, then we should always be in the process of changing. We should be praying and moving and striving for change in our lives. In what way? That every day we would be changing to be more and more and more like Jesus. More like Jesus. See, that's what we've been called to be, to be like Jesus. We haven't been called to be what you see on the news. We haven't been called to be what you hear on talk radio. We haven't been called to be what you scroll through on social media. We haven't been called to be just who your parents or your grandparents are or what they like or what they believe. We haven't even been called to be what you like or what you believe or what you think is right. We've been called to be like Jesus. Now, can the news and talk radio and social media and our parents and our grandparents and even our own opinions, can those things sometimes promote the gospel, promote Jesus? Yes by all means. But we should be careful in thinking that our opinions always line up with the gospel because they don't. They just don't. We have a tendency to be weak and feeble and frail and tired and weary and arrogant and annoyed and frustrated and stressed and anxious and stop me anytime. You know, on and on and on. We, we have all of these things that happen in our life. And when we begin to feel those types of things, we kind of can't always think straight. We just can't think right. So what should we do? What should we do when we're not thinking right? What should we do when we're kind of not trying to honor the Lord? Well, when we can't think straight and when we're frustrated or tired or weary or anxious or whatever it might be, what we really need to do is to hide. Hide, that sounds crazy. Well, it's not the kind of hide that you're thinking about. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The only way we can fight against apathy, the only way we can fight against anger, the only way we can fight against fear and discover what is good and right and then do what is good and right is to treasure the truth of God. We have to look at the truth of the Bible as a treasure. We have to look at the truth of the Bible and say, this book, God's Word, it's going to become my greatest tool and my greatest weapon and my greatest resource for anything that I need to do in life. We need to look at the Bible as a treasure, not just a religious book. So, a purposely hard question for you. 
in the middle of everything that's going on right now, how much are you treasuring God's Word? How much is, is the Bible getting into your heart and your mind? How much are you turning to the truth of Scripture when it comes to your thoughts and your opinions and your attitudes and your decisions right now? If you're a believer, then it's kind of a necessity. Are you treasuring God's Word? Or are you treasuring your opinion? Or are you treasuring your fear? You just love it that much. Or are you treasuring your apathy? You just don't care. You're all about it. Are you treasuring your anger? You're, you're happy to be angry about everything that's happening. Or are you treasuring your obedience to guidelines? Or are you treasuring your rebellion to guidelines? Are you treasuring the past and how things have always been and, and wanting them to get back there? Or are you treasuring the future and how you want things to be and, and an anxiety and patience for things to get there? Again, none of those things are evil, okay? They're not, none of them. But the goal here is, is which way we're leaning. Not perfection, but leaning. Which way are you leaning? And as a believer, we're supposed to be leaning toward Christ. So, are you leaning toward Christ? First and most, are you leaning toward Christ? Or, if you're a Christian, are you leaning first and most toward the liberal left? Or are you leaning first and most toward the conservative right? Which way are you leaning? If you're a believer, you're supposed to be leaning toward Christ first and most. Are you leaning toward Christ first and most? Or are you leaning first and most toward being afraid of every guideline that comes out from the CDC? Or are you leaning toward being rebellious and rejecting every guideline that comes from the CDC? Look at all the different pockets of life. What, what are you leaning toward the most? Are you leaning toward Christ first and most? Are you treasuring God's truth? Are you treasuring Christ? If you are, then you'll be leaning away from fear and away from anger and away from apathy. Not perfectly. We're all going to struggle, okay? But there will be a different lean. And that lean's important especially if you are going to be a part and say you're a part of the hero's army. Why? Well, when the enemy and his army are the loudest, when the enemy and, and his army, when their propaganda is a roar around you, when the enemy and, and his army are actually doing evil things, in the world, when the enemy is up to what the enemy does, even in that moment, if you're leaning toward Christ, you'll be able to remind your heart of one simple truth. And what's that truth? Psalmist tells us, next part of verse 6 He raised his voice, and the earth melted. He raised his voice, and the earth melted. At just the moment, when the enemy and his army are the loudest, when their roar is the loudest, 
when they're stomping the most, when they're beating their chest the most, when they're at the highest point of confidence that they're going to wipe the hero and his little army off the face of the earth, at that moment, suddenly, the high king of heaven booms his voice across the valley and the earth opens up and swallows the enemy in a blink of an eye. Dear Christian, that is the power of our God. That's who He is. No one has authority and power like that. No one's voice commands such power. That's why Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. We are not bowing down to an idol or a philosophy that cannot speak to us. Someone once said the reason people worship idols, whether it's a religious idol or, or the idols of, of fame and wealth and, and sports or sports cars or retirement or whatever else you want to put in the blank, the reason people worship idols is because when you worship an idol, that idol makes no demands on you. See, it's, it's pretty safe to worship an idol. You, you can bow down before a God that's not going to speak to you. But our God is not like that. The Lord of hosts is not like that. When the nation is embroiled in social or cultural or racial or medical or political instability, a believer always can remember in a blink of an eye God can speak and melt it all. Now someone's thinking, well, hey, this would be a good time for that, you know. I mean, why isn't God doing that now? Boy, this sure seems like a good time for God to speak and melt some things. Just a word of caution, if, if you ever ask that question, always be careful when you ask it because you might be assuming that you won't be swallowed up. In other words, we need to be careful in assuming that we are right. Jesus put it this way, Matthew chapter 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus said, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. A helpful question might be this. Does your opinion line up with the truth of the gospel? Does your opinion line up with the truth of the gospel? If not, then think carefully, speak carefully, act carefully, post carefully. Be, be careful. But now the question is not a wrong question. In fact, every Christian has asked it at least once, maybe many times. Because the question's fair, right? God, where are you? God, God, where are you? God, why are you letting this happen? God, why haven't you spoken? God, why haven't you raised your voice? God, why aren't you doing something? We've all asked that question. And when we ask that question, we, 
We need to be careful. We, we are dangerously maybe missing the math. Because, see, sometimes when we ask that a question, we, we assume that because God's not raising his voice in our personal emergency, because God's not raising his voice in a national emergency, because God's not raising his voice in a, a world emergency, that in some way, shape, or form, we think God has divine laryngitis, that he's, he's lost his voice because surely he'd be speaking now. So how do we maneuver through those assumptions? Well, John put it this way, 1 John 4, 18, perfect love cast out fear. And not just fear. Perfect love cast out anger. Perfect love cast out anxiety. Perfect love cast out apathy. That's some love right there, right? So, so what is this perfect love? What is this perfect love that has that kind of authority and that kind of power inside of our living room, inside of our hospital room, inside of our voting booth? What kind of love has this kind of power? Well, we back up one chapter and, and we find the answer. 1 John three sixteen. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. By this we know love. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. Never has God raised his voice more than through the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And never has the earth melted more than in the moments that Jesus cried out, it is finished. And that the angel cried out, he is not here, he is risen just as he said. Dear friend, please do not be fooled into thinking that 2020 is anything new under the sun. It is not. It's not new. Don't be fooled into thinking that when you have prayed this week, how long, O oh Lord, how long, that somehow God is playing golf somewhere and His phone is on Do Not Disturb. Don't be fooled into thinking that this time and this moment is somehow different and somehow new. The most urgent need that the world has ever had, the most urgent need that you have ever had, and your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and your parents and everybody else you know, the most urgent need in the world has always been the same. It's never changed. It's nothing new. And the most urgent need is this, to be rescued from sin and everlasting death. That's the greatest need that any of us have. So what has God done to meet that need? Paul said it this way, Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your transgressions, God made you alive together with Christ having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, and Christian, we bear it no more, so we praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, our soul. This, this is the truth 
that we take into any circumstance, any situation, no matter the circumstance in our personal lives, no matter the situation in our community, in our state, in the nation, in the world, there's never a time where someone who is in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, there's never a moment where they cannot hear the voice of God saying, by this you know love, that Christ laid down his life for you. That message never changes. And that perfect love from Jesus whereby he laid down his life for us, that perfect love, it cast out fear. It cast out anger. It cast out annoyance. It cast out anxiety. It cast out apathy. It cast all those things out. It it causes us to lean toward Christ and and lean away. That's what this perfect love does. And how do we know that? How how do we know that this is how this perfect love works? But because because behind that perfect love is the loud, deep, powerful voice of the high king of heaven. And that voice can never be drowned out. And the psalmist knew that voice. The psalmist had experienced that voice. And this is what he says, verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Selah is a cool word. It means pause. It's like, hey, just take a break. Chew on this for a minute. Marinate on this for a moment. And what are we supposed to be marinating on? According to the psalmist, we're supposed to marinate on the fact that God is with us that God is strong, and that God has always been that way. That God is with us, that God is strong, and God has always been that way. But what about when we don't feel that? What about when we don't feel like God is with us, and we don't feel like God's being very strong, and we don't feel like God's always like that? What about when we are so amped up over what we've been hearing on talk radio, or what we've been seeing on social media, Or what, you know, Bill Lumberg has been saying in the accounting department, all of his ranting about stuff. What is it that happens when we're ramped up and we're amped up and we're aggravated or we're afraid or or whatever might be going on in our minds and we aren't thinking about God? We aren't thinking about God. We're not thinking about him being with us and we're definitely not trying to hear his voice. What do we do then? What do we do when we're not listening for God, not thinking for God, and not looking to God? What do we do when we feel like God isn't there? Let me give you a couple of pictures of how to listen to God's voice when, when we can't think straight. I was reading a few portions of a sermon by Reverend Derek Harkins, uh, who once was the pastor of 19th Street Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. This particular sermon was from a Sunday uh, in September, September 12th, 2011. So it'd be 10 years uh, after the September 11th terrorist attacks. On that particular day in his church, uh, the family of Army Major Malcolm Peterson, they were in the audience that day in the congregation. Major Peterson was one of the 125 people that were killed at the Pentagon on 9-11. So this, this moment, this day, was unique at the church. And of all the places that Reverend Harkins could have picked to preach from, guess which part of the Bible he picked to preach from? 
Psalm 46. In, in part of his sermon, he referenced a poem that was found on the inside wall of the Auschwitz concentration camp. Now, I'm going to read that poem in, in just a moment, but at least parts of it. And, but, but first, I, I want you to get the scene a little bit, okay? So over the last, I'll just say, month, I've had no fewer than 25 people tell me I never thought that I would see anything that's happening in the world in my lifetime. Okay? 19 years ago, over the course of a month, I had no fewer than 25 people in Bertie County, North Carolina, say to me, I never thought in my lifetime I would see any of the things that I'm seeing today. And 80, 100 years ago, when people in this community heard about the atrocities of Hitler, there was at least 25 people in this community that said, I never thought in my lifetime I would ever see anything like this. The words of the wise man of the Old Testament, God's truth from the Old Testament never fade. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. God has made clear to tell us there is nothing new under the sun. And that matters because he doesn't change. So that means our hearts and our minds and our attention need to move to him. Reverend Harkins read from this poem. I imagine the image of this scrawled on a wall inside of a concentration camp. And here's how it goes. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. And I believe in love even when there's no one there. And I believe in God even when he is silent. I believe through any trial there is always a way but sometimes in this suffering and hopeless despair, my heart cries for shelter to know someone's there. And then it says this. But a voice rises within me saying, hold on, my child. I'll give you strength. I'll give you hope. Just stay a little while. You see, the voice of God, the one true God, the, the voice of God can rise up from the ground, open up the earth, and swallow up the army of the enemy. And the same voice can rise up inside of your heart and your mind and swallow up your despair. That's who he is. That's how he acts. It's his character. It's his nature. This is our God. But how do we know that's true? Because it's the voice of God. And he is always with us. And he is always strong. And he has always been that way. Always. I was reading a story this week about Charlie. Charlie left his house, didn't tell his family where he was going. They didn't realize that he wasn't coming back. Charlie left the house that day, and, and he walked straight to the train station, got on a train, 
And he rode 400 miles to Washington, D.C. And when he got there, he did exactly what he was going to do. He immediately went and joined the Union Army. On that train ride, all those miles, it's more than likely that he thought about his mother, Fanny. It had not even been two years since his mom had died. She was in an accident. Her clothes caught on fire, and and she ended up dying from that fire. Her husband, Henry, he, he woke up when all of this was happening. He was taking a nap, and he, he went, and he, he tried to do everything he could to save his wife. He used a rug and, and tried to put out the fire, and then he tried to use his own body to put out the fire. But her burns were so severe that she died the next day. Henry's burns were so bad that he was not physically able to attend his wife's funeral. His facial burns were so bad that he he grew a a thick beard and, and tried to cover it up. And he was so full of grief and despair that there were many days he said he thought they were going to lock him away in an asylum because he was so overwhelmed. But Charlie did join the army, and he proved himself to be a very good and skilled and trusted soldier. Then on December 1st, 1863, Henry got word that Charlie had been wounded, severely wounded in battle. The next message that came a few days later was that his wounds were so bad that more than likely he was going to be paralyzed permanently. But then later that night, another message came from some other surgeons and they said it wasn't going to be that bad, but, but that his surgery and his recovery were, were going to be at least six months long, a long time. A few weeks later, it was Christmas Day. Henry wrote a poem. This, this 57-year-old widowed father of six kids on Christmas Day wrote a poem. He was still trying to filter through the the physical and practical and emotional aspects of almost losing his oldest son to the war, a war that his country was fighting against itself. And in trying to filter through that, he was trying to find a way to respond to the confusion and the conflict in his own heart and his own mind. Justin Taylor said this, He heard the Christmas bells that December day and the singing of peace on earth, but he observed the world of injustice and violence that seemed to mock the truthfulness of this optimistic outlook. In other words, he heard peace on earth. He heard, oh yeah, the voice of God. He heard, oh, by this we know love. But he was like, Yeah, that that stuff can't be true because of what I'm seeing, because of what I'm hearing. He was living in the moment, and there was no way these eternal truths could be true. But Henry wrote his poem, and let me just read you some of the words of Henry's poem that day. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. What did Henry hear through his despair? What did Henry hear through his anger and his apathy, his anxiety and his fear over the chaos of his country at war with itself? What did Henry hear? And the chaos and the confusion and the stress and the anxiety, the voice of God rose up inside of him. He heard God's truth. He could still hear the voice of God. How? How could he hear the voice of God with everything that was going on? Here's how. Because the voice of God is louder and deeper and more powerful than anything in the universe. And God is with us. And God is strong. And God has always been that way. And God will always be that way. This is who He is. So, fathers, grandfathers, and everyone else, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to?